zwar die Hände in den Taschen, doch die Fäuste geballt. Ist schon hässlich zu sehen, was das euch das Geld macht, darum werfe ich den Stein in den Spiegel der Gesellschaft. Was geben wir her für unseren Platz im System? Welcome to Redefinition, the podcast that unveils what life philosophies exist in order to understand your own life path and identity. I'm Bowen Wang. Hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of Redefinition, where I host candid conversations with people from all different walks of life, in order to reveal the commonalities that we as human beings have with each other, regardless of your background interests or professional backgrounds. The conversations at this point have been with rappers, educators, calligraphers, and even a pair of startup founders. In this conversation, I reconnect with an old college friend, Amuche Ahenacho. Amuche very recently began her professional career in social work, as a case manager slash social worker. I was personally interested to speak with her about this journey because I was actually raised by a social worker myself. I'm speaking, of course, about my own mom. And I've had many conversations over the years with my mom about her line of work, and I've even considered pursuing social welfare myself at a certain point. It's a largely underappreciated job, and it's one that requires a strong sense of empathy to navigate, mainly because you are consistently serving folks that come from potentially very intense backgrounds, and your job is to be a listener and a therapist, essentially to serve proxy until you can prescribe the proper services to your case. So I wanted to unpack with Amuche about her own life journey into this path, mainly how she manages her work-life balance so that she can continue to serve her patients well while enjoying her own personal life. We also spoke at length about her journey into graduate school, which is becoming a very normal conversation now among my fellow mid-20-year-old peers. And we cover topics like what she took away from her program, as well as taking advantage of opportunities within her program. Amuche is incredibly insightful, and as you'll hear, has spent a considerable amount of time consulting with mentors and even reflecting in her own head. And I found myself challenged to do the same after we finished speaking. So with that said, please enjoy this conversation with Amuche Ahenacho. Yeah, I used to use the little ones with the tapes. Yeah. What did you do? What did you use it for? Just for fun? For like for yeah, basically. I think I think my sister got it and she gave it to me, and I would do like random things, like I would sing and record on it, or when I actually started playing piano, I would like record me playing uh-huh. to, to see what it sounded like, and or just me and my brothers messing around. I would just record us like running around outside. It was stupid stuff. <laughs> kids being kids. Exactly. Gotcha. So how have your days been lately? Um. Honestly, my days are, are really insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's um, I, like I right now I'm working I'm working per diem, mm-hmm. and as such, it's there is I mean there's there's more, I guess more security with my schedule in terms of I know what my month is gonna look like. Uh-huh. But no month is ever the same as the last sure. month. So and then you know sometimes I'm there three days in a row sometimes in there four days in a row sometimes i'm working the er and then i'm following up with three normal days uh-huh. and er is like 12 hours okay. and normal days are eight hours but then you even start at different times yeah right? yeah if i'm in the er i'm there 11 11 30 if i'm on the floor i'm there 8 to 4 30 so it's just my days are crazy <laughs> wow yeah and then just to backtrack a backtrack a little bit so what what's your current profession so I'm a medical social worker. Um, on my badge, it says social work case manager. Okay. So I double as both. Um, I'm a case manager in terms of like discharge planning in the hospital, making sure we have a safe discharge plan. But then on the social worker side, if somebody comes in like, and they 
are coming in because maybe their husband beat them or their child made a statement about, mm-hmm. you know, being sexually assaulted or they feel like their life is threatened, right. then I come in at that point too. So, because we have some case managers who are nurses. Okay. And if they're a nurse case manager, then they have to call the social worker to come over to do those type of social work consults. Okay. So, yeah. Gotcha. And this is what you just finished graduate school for, social mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, initially, when I was applying, I was applying for, like, PsyD programs um, and psychology programs because I knew I wanted to kind of be able to get inside people's heads. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I wasn't really too interested in the research. Okay. Um, but my sister, she has her MSW, and so she was the one who explained to me that in social work there's so many different hats and so many different directions you can take it um and like i didn't know that licensed clinical social workers can do therapy Mm -hmm. and things of that nature so that's what kind of interested me me in it and me actually applying to those programs i didn't even think i'd get in but then i got it (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's awesome yeah yeah And and i think that's part of the big reason why like when I had saw you post it on LinkedIn and Facebook that, you know, like I'm, I'm starting this new career in social work. I was like, oh, crap. Like I didn't I had no idea Muche was interested in this. Um, and also like why it's important for me is because my mom's a social worker. Oh, really? Yeah. And she's been a social worker um, for with L.A. County for the past. I want to say she's approaching 25 years. Wow. So I've kind of, you know, grown up seeing just all the cases that she's had mm-hmm. to deal with like she's even taken me on cases herself like mm-hmm. i remember one time she was like all right you know we're gonna go to bellflower and then we're gonna go to compton afterwards yeah. and as in, as in junior higher i was just like uh what <laughs> you like going yeah yeah what's what's going on here you know <laughs> yeah um and you know all i remember like you know driving getting off the freeway and immediately seeing like oh wow there's just a mm-hmm. whole nother world that exists around here exactly. and um so just being around that and also just seeing how much like emotional toll it's taken on my mom at times yeah. um and i and, and again like i only knew that there and i only thought that there was this just one aspect of a social mm-hmm. worker so like talk to me a little bit about well, that own journey for yourself yeah that's kind of the good thing about um i mean i think about grad school you know they try to tell you in undergrad that that you're forming your future and yes you're forming your future and ensuring you get to the next step but it's not it's not just boom out the gates of undergrad your future is there like no <laughs> and that's what's good about a master's program is because you've already identified you know what you're interested in and now it's more so they kind of help you keen in and focus mm-hmm. on what route you want to go sure um so as far as uh my program there are different tiers so there was um mental health social work which that would be more so the therapy route um you know doing inpatient services and or i mean outpatient services in terms of things like therapy Mm -hmm. um and then there was medical social work or which what they called health social work which is what i do okay and that kind of puts you in position to be in the health field whether inpatient or outpatient doing more um hospital and clinical things like that mm-hmm. then there's um children and family services which would put you in like the department of uh children and family services is that what it's called yeah like, that's what my mom yeah <laughs> so there's that one um and then also if you if you were to do mental health that would put you in dmh department of mental health so that's gotcha. usually the route you're gonna go for that then there was um something they called uh 
was it I can't remember specifically what the uh-huh. acronym was, but basically that one was more so um social work and media. Okay. So those are the people like their internships were ridiculous. Like they were doing internships with WB, like oh, okay. Yeah, like it didn't even make sense. That's kinda of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So those are those are the people that um I don't honestly I don't fully understand um how that plays in but it's business social work that's what i do understand business social business work. and marketing social work okay. type thing um again i don't i'm not even fully there yeah, that... <laughs> <laughs> and then there's um there was one route of social work that seemed to be more like research oriented okay. and, and towards that direction um and then if you did a dual program then you could do social work and law okay. or you could do social work and masters of public health so you can um if you wanted to do a get your dual master then those were other programs you could take i think there were a couple other ones but yeah and it, it was even crazy because the global social work they even had opportunities to like travel to different countries mm-hmm. and see some of the social issues in different countries so yeah there are so many ways that social work can go sure um but i guess my journey was more so um since high school in high school i took a, a class that was psychology mm-hmm. and in that class i kind of identified you know, that I am interested in the human mind and okay. I'm interested in how society plays a part of that. So towards undergrad, I thought maybe I wanted to do sociology. Okay. So I was torn between sociology and psychology, but then I took a criminal justice and a juvenile delinquency class and the psych law class. This was in high school? Or no, this was undergrad. Oh, now, undergrad, those undergrad. three. Okay. Um, and so those classes kind of honed in on the idea that I like the interaction between psychology sociology and um and how law or how social norms so to speak play into all of those things Mm -hmm. um and that led me to believe hey you know maybe i want to be the the advocate for people who you know when they're dealing with something sensitive like they've been abused or something like that when they feel like nobody's on their side i want to be that person on their side yeah absolutely and so um that's when actually i thought i needed to be a therapist to do that but through my master's program i realized that what i was talking about was actually being a medical social worker because you're the like first person that person is meeting since the incident basically like Um, and and even even then you could even take it the route of going towards actually working with the law for these things like there are some social workers that work side by side with police officers okay and I didn't learn that until my program sure so there are all these different things but that's kind of what led me into hospital because I figured okay you know what yeah like hospitals are scary I hate hospitals which was really funny because that's what I said in my interviews, and I think that's what probably had a lot of people intrigued in me. Is I, I define myself as the kid looking through the curtain, because I hate hospitals. I don't like going to them. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're like gross and all this stuff. But for some reason, there was like this gravitational pull for me towards them because I was just so curious about sure. them. Um, and and I think with having both sides of that of being afraid because as a kid I was afraid of hospitals and then having this like discomfort with them while still being interested in them has allowed me to kind of be that sense of comfort for other people because I can empathize and relate to like I don't want to be here why am I here right right but then at the same time like give them enough solace to to understand the need to be there and to help them plan as necessary so that we could get them out as quick as possible absolutely And, and it's funny that I think like part of people being able to progress in general is like 
getting used to doing things that they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like a big part of my job right now is getting getting in front of people and making presentations, you know, and talking to students like that. So, and that, and I, I hate that, you know, and, I, <laughs> and, and it's taken me, but at the same time, like, I understand the process of getting better mm-hmm. and, you know, putting myself uh, in these type of situations all the time is, I think, improved, helped me improve a lot. I still mm-hmm. get butterflies. Like, I just scheduled a meeting today, like a presentation that they give in like three weeks. And mm-hmm. I kind of have butterfly. I kind of have butterflies thinking about it right now, but I just know that, like, you know, when the time comes, it's yeah, it'll be better. And that's one thing. One of my professors, Professor Bush, shout out to Professor Bush. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing he used to always say is he would always say it's time to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Absolutely. And and that's one thing that I've literally like tied to my heart is every single time I feel a little uncomfortable it makes me push myself just that much further because like you said that's where you grow the most if we all stay in this box of what we enjoy and what we're comfortable with doing mm-hmm. we're never gonna grow we're never gonna expand our knowledge is gonna stay at baseline Absolutely. but if we push ourselves a little bit even if we hate it at least now we have an opinion at least now we've experienced it at least now we've grown from it so yeah getting comfortable with the uncomfortable is so necessary yeah and that, and that's a really um I, that's a good, that's a great perspective to have too. Like once you experience it, mm-hmm. um, once you experience something, you know whether or not you like it or if you feel like you can improve on it. Um, and I, I feel like just you talking about your path so far. Obviously, you've been inside your own head mm-hmm. a lot. I can tell. Like you've been thinking a lot about that. <laughs> can you tell me a, like a specific story or instant that um, you know whether it was interacting with a patient or through some other real life experience that really solidified this kind of career path for yourself. Um, I think what solidified it was, you know, there was, without, because obviously patient confidentiality and all kinds of crazy stuff, <laughs> without getting into too much detail, working in the ER was what I started off doing, which was what I didn't want to do, to be honest. I didn't want to, I didn't want to hit the ground running that hard. Sure. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. So, yeah. So um, when I was interning, they started me off in the emergency room and I think the time that solidified for me, like this is this is what I want to do. This is this is how I want to proceed with at, at least the next few years of my future, was uh, where I was working with a patient, and you know there were so many coexisting things going on. And we're talking, you know, substance abuse, and at the same time, a little bit of like mental health issues in terms of coping and just. Uh, depression and things of that nature and that patient opened up to me in a way that they had never opened up to anyone and this was an older patient too so you've had years to open up to people and you never have and taking that time and understanding that I was being granted the opportunity to see who this person was for who they are Mm -hmm. and not just what they're experiencing not just what they're doing with their life you know, made me almost feel honored. And then to at the same time be able to help them kind of navigate through deciding, you know, this is bigger than than what I imagined. I do need help. I do need these resources. And and seeing how vulnerable and fragile they were sitting in an ER room, you know, and being able to then after that turn around and talk to the PA and explain to them you know, this is a big issue. Like, there are so many things in play. And have the PA then be on my team as well, which helped me bring more people to that patient's team. Right. And and then at the end of it, um, as I'm, I guess, kind of trying to wrap up with her, 
mind you, I haven't even had time to process anything. I'm just trying to be as present as possible. Sure. She like looks at me, turns her head. And she says, you're an intern? And I'm like, yeah, I am. And she just says, you're doing good. You're doing great. And I walked out and I literally sat at the table and my, my preceptor was like, hey, you good? And I was like fanning myself. I was like, I need a minute. Like, <laughs> because my eyes were like watering and I was like, oh my gosh, like so much just happened. Yeah. What just happened? Wow. But okay. at that moment, and, and you know, as I keep trying to grow, because there's always that moment where I kind of sit there and I question like, am I doing the right thing? Am I even making any change? Am I even making a difference? then you it's like there's always that person somehow that validates me and tells me hey you just started here like you're doing great or or wow you're better than the other person i was talking to <laughs> or like oh my gosh like thank you so much for explaining that and taking the time like thank you so much for your patience and those are things that you don't really realize those are things that yeah sometimes people need to be told like and so that helps me solidify any time that I start to doubt myself that no, I'm I'm in the right place. I'm starting off fine. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Um, now talking about the differences between like undergrad and graduate school. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, did okay. First of all, did you feel like what you learned in undergrad you were able to apply to graduate school? And then we can kind of cycle along that. Like, did you feel like the things that you learned in graduate school or something? Are things that you're applying to your job now? Slightly. So, um, you know, some of the things that I learned in like my psychology and sociology classes rolled over into grad school. Mm-hmm. There was in the beginning there was some repetition, um, which only helped to solidify things. But I would more so say that the things for undergrad braced me for my masters, and the things for my masters braced me for life mm-hmm. because. And I think the difference is, I mean, I think it was beneficial that while I was an undergrad, I was, you know, a psych, I was a research assistant for psychology. And I also was a mentor for teenage girls while working for Kaplan. So all those things kind of helped me somewhat apply what I was learning to real life in different ways and how one topic can be expanded essentially through various fields. But when you're in your master's, because you have your internship, it's directly correlating. Everything you're learning, chances are next week you're going to encounter it, if not sure. that week. <laughs> and and that's the interesting thing is because the way my classes were, at least my first year, I had classes Tuesday, Thursday, internship Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So you essentially have a full week. Sure. And in, in that you're learning every day because either you're learning at school or you're learning real life tools in at your internship. And then a lot of times because the preceptors and the field liaisons have to, or the field instructors have to, you know, work with the school, they are kind of familiar with what are the curric- what the curriculum is for what you need to learn. Okay. So, and that, that alone solidifies you for life because the idea is that the internship is going to turn into a job. So a lot of right, times right. they're training you as such. So, yeah, I think that would be my opinion on grad school and undergrad. <laughs> yeah. How is the USC culture like? So, sadly, this is the oh. thing. Because because I, I went to USC at Orange County. Oh, because so you were not the LA campus. I went to the main campus my second year for gotcha. a semester. Okay. So, this is why I say sadly. Because I feel like I didn't have quite the same opportunity to build that Trojan pride. Sure. I got it once I started being more involved. Because 
naturally in undergrad I was the same way when I start off with a program I focus on the program because my idea is like don't mess this up so when I started off at Orange County I wasn't too interested in being too involved in too many things because I'm at USC I'm here to build a future that's what I want to focus on but after I kind of gained my momentum and I became comfortable, then I started going to the USC football games and and I started trying to attend more of like these brown bag cere- or not ceremonies, but these brown bag uh, meetings, which were basically luncheons where we'd have speakers come and like participating more. And that's what helped me develop my Trojan pride, so to speak, as what they call it. And then it was only further solidified once I did get to take some classes at the actual campus Mm -hmm. because it's a different vibe. Yeah. At the Orange County campus, it's more of an intimate setting, in my opinion, in terms of, you know, um, the rooms are larger, but the the class size isn't. So there's a lot of space. But then at the same time, all these professors, because you only have like X amount of professors, they all know each other. They all work together. They all talk to each other. Sure. So it, it these these professors know you by name. Like they know who you are, and um and it, it's not just because you're participating. Like it's because like you're in the class. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas at the main campus, um, granted, like the professors would make the effort to mm-hmm. get to know you. Of course, every professor makes an effort to get to know every student in their class. But it was just a different energy. And it's not that the energy was negative. It was just more of a university energy. Mm-hmm. Like, it was it reminded me a lot of undergrad. Where, sure. where there's, I mean, not these huge classrooms. They were still small classrooms. But it's just kind of like a, that energy of like, okay, I'm here to learn. But I'm so curious what's going on outside right now. Right, right. <laughs> you know, because you know there's food trucks outside right now. <laughs> so it was just different energy in terms of that. And then I think also because you are surrounded with, people from so many different fields and focuses and grade levels because at the main campus sure. you have undergrad and grad mm-hmm. whereas at OC it was just grad students yeah so um and, and even then like I think if I remember well I know that there's a business school at the OC campus and I think there's a pharmacy school too okay but they offset the hours so maybe you cross paths with business students gotcha. here and there but when you're there, you know everybody that's there is a social work student. You know everybody that's there is taking similar classes. And, okay. And so it's that's why I say it's a different energy at OC. I feel like at OC, at least during class, it's about class. You know, that's what like that's what people are there for. They're there to focus. Yeah. And at the main campus, when you're in class, it's about class, but your mind is going to wander to what's going on outside because there are all these activities and wonderful things to participate in. Right. And USC is known to be a networking school anyway. Yes. So there's so... And the main campus, that's the one thing I feel like I missed out on by not going to the main campus is there are so many opportunities to just go and network and meet people. And it's not to say you can't do that from OCAC. Sure. um, But it's just you have to travel now <laughs> yeah no totally and and like you know because I, I think about when we went to uc riverside mm-hmm. and i remember this specific instance where um you know i was part of a business organization and we traveled down to meet uc irvine's uh, business organization mm-hmm. everybody there you know i'm talking about like our class class 2013 they all like a hundred percent of them already had locked down um, jobs before yeah. they graduated not only did they lock down jobs but we're talking about like big four like mm-hmm. specialized tax firms mm-hmm. you know and then i, I was like Crap, I look at our class and it's like, well, you know, Target is like a, a huge thing. And it, I'm not like belittling Target at all because yeah. I think no, it's No, but great... it's just the opportunity. Sure, exactly. Yeah. You know, because there's nothing in the Inland Empire. Yeah. I think it's, I haven't been there, I haven't really visited too much since I've graduated, yeah. but I 
don't I still don't see like the same kind of opportunities that I'm seeing like maybe in the Bay Area or yeah. like LA or like even the OC. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's I think that's so key because it is so much so placement and networking because mm-hmm. obviously if you're in LA like how many businesses are based in LA yeah. and how many of these businesses know of the main campus of USC in LA so of course that's where they're going to be driven to go exactly and then in Orange County you know yeah there are major businesses in Orange County as well but it might just it might just take a little more effort to find them or get connected to them and know who they are and so that's that's really all it is is it's just and that's why I was that's why I even made the comment of how I was in the beginning because at the end of the day if you are determined to make networks, if you are determined to get solidified, it doesn't matter where your place, whether you're yeah, at LA exactly. or OC, you will mm-hmm. find a way. But for me, my focus towards actually being involved and making those strides to my future didn't occur until later. Right. But as soon as I made the decision, didn't matter where I was, I still made it happen. Yeah, and I and I feel the same way. Yeah, you know, because like for me right now, I'm a I'm a remote worker, so I'm mm-hmm. like working by myself mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And as much as like I love it as an introvert. I think it's really pulled the extroversion out of me because yeah. I think that's made me realize how important like human interaction is. And there's just, there, there's been so many times where I'm just like, man, like I, I kind of feel like, you know, Jack Nicholson in the, in the shining right now, I'm about to go crazy. And I just, but at the same time, like that's pushed me to like go, uh, you know, join a volunteer group or yeah. like go like start this podcast or something, you know, yeah. go connect with other people in the community. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Um, so you talked a little bit about your crazy schedule, and I'm curious how you actually manage everything. Like, how do you prioritize your work? Oh, cheese and rice. It's still a work in progress. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think that's something I'm truly, honestly terrible at. Mm. <laughs> um, I know I, I'm, I'm like you said, I'm, I feel like I'm very much so an introvert. So I like my me time. I like to be alone. And at the same time, though, I understand how pivotal it is to... Let the people know that are around you. Let them know that they're important mm-hmm. by spending time with sure, them. Sure, yeah. Um, so that's something that I am still working to balance because sometimes, you know, I'm giving my, if I have like three days off, I'm giving my three days off to people that I care about. But then when I go back to work, I'm drained because I didn't give my time to me. Yeah. Or I'll have like two days off and those two days are mine. But then I go back to work and I'm like drained because now I'm getting these text messages from family and friends like, Where are you? you had two days <laughs> off and like you didn't even want to come by and like, you know, I miss you, my mom. I miss you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, I'm still trying to work that balance. And it's also, it's hard because my roots are based essentially an hour away from where I live. Sure. So that alone takes energy to think about, oh my gosh, I have to get in the car, I have to drive an hour, and then yeah. I got to come back an hour. Like one day off is not enough to try and see people because by the time I get there, I get like five hours, I got to come back. And what is this, what is five hours when you're trying to cook dinner with your mom? Yeah. Not much. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's like little things like that. And um, I think I think that's where... That's why I say no month is no is not similar to another because I think if you have a set schedule, if you know what every day, every week, every month is going to look like, you can kind of plan in advance. And I try and do so because thankfully I do know what my month is going to look like, mm-hmm. but sometimes it really gets tricky trying to plan where your energy is going, yeah. especially like like you said, like we're introverts because everything takes so much energy to yes. like step out. <laughs> The thought takes energy. (laughs) So it's, yeah, it gets a little hard sometimes. But I think I have an okay balance for now, but it could definitely utilize some improvement. Yeah. 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 
And I think that's something that like I've learned so much just even moving to the Bay because it's I mean it's not too far. I'm sure it's far. Like I can't I can't just like pick up and drive whenever mm-hmm. I want to now. But I think just in that I think it's made me really value time mm-hmm. like like you said you know you you have to really be mindful of how you spend it do you want to spend it with your mom or do you would you prefer to like catch up with like friends and stuff mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i try to do both but yeah uh-huh. and, and i think what's important also is remembering that you'll never please everyone yeah like you there needs you need to just be comfortable in the idea that you did the best you can because there are even sometimes where the way I balance it now anyways, is if I'm going to visit my mom, I'm going to visit my friends because it's sure. all in the same area. Yeah. Um, of course, sometimes my mom is like, you never come home just to see me. You always <laughs> want to see your friends. <laughs> but but I can take solace in knowing that I did the best I could. I mm-hmm. took whatever amount of hours I had and I gave you X amount of hours and I gave them X amount of hours and I gave myself X amount of hours. Yeah, and, totally. and although that may not be enough for you, let me remind you that I, I still tried. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, and so, and that's really all it takes. And honestly, if you have a good foundation, a good base of supporters and friends and family, they'll understand either way. They may complain here and there, but they're not serious. Like, right. It's all out of Yeah. Love, it's just, jokes. exactly. Yeah. Like, it's just, they would love to spend more time with you, but nonetheless, there's appreciation that the time that was given was given. Yeah. So, um, and I think, thankfully, you know, all of my friends and family, understand how i am and how i'm horrible with texting and phone calls and all kinds of things so they 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 trust that at the end of the day they're on my mind and i think that's what's important yeah so how did what does it take to build this kind of trust in your eyes oh it takes so much (laughs) yeah so like i like and like i i I feel like we probably share the same view on this friendship just based of the way that you talked about it but Mm -hmm. like so disregarding just the fact that it takes time to build all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, I think I think what's helped form that trust is that my friends know. I may not text you every day. I may not call you every day. I may not even ask how you're doing every day. Like, you know, I may not even do that every other week. Like, <laughs> But at the end of the day, when that phone rings, either I'll answer or I'll send a text and say, hey, I'm at work. What's up? And if you come to me with some sob story or if you come to me with something where you just need me i'm there so i may not be there for the little things Mm -hmm. i may not be there when you had an awesome date with a guy and you want to talk about it but i will be there when you feel alone Mm -hmm. and i will be there to provide support advice and ear to listen and i and i will be there to also share the happy moments too and i think that's what builds the trust is knowing that yeah Muche may not always respond to my text messages, whatever, but when I need her, she's there. Yeah. And I think that's what matters. So, and I try to remind my friends of that often. I try to remind my friends, hey, I'm horrible at texting. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. But if you need me, just say, hey, I need to talk to you. And I will call you the second I have a free moment. I will not let days go by. Totally. So where does your, maybe you talked, I know you mentioned this a little bit earlier. I get, I think just being interested in the human mind, but. Where does your sense of empathy come from? Because you've mentioned it now twice that you really look to connect with people when they're lonely because I don't know if it's like, you know, you've dealt with that before. You just yeah. know how to deal with it. I think I think my sense of empathy comes from, you know, honestly, I'm not 100% sure because I know this is, I know I've had to tweak it since, but 
I know as a kid, I just had this tendency to put other people's wants, desires, and needs before mine. And I know also that in doing that as a child, I, I tended, or I made, I would always put my own wants and desires to the back burn, like to the side. And, and it made me really unhappy as a child because I wanted to believe that the same love, attention, and focus I was giving to somebody that I'd get back, no matter who they were. Um, and I, I learned that that's not always the case. And so instead, I think I grew up with a different level of empathy in terms of I'm okay with giving that now, but I'm, I also need to keep some for myself. Absolutely. And I think that's what leads me to be bad at texting and things like that. Because I think, I think in the back of my head, I'm trying to take care of myself while taking care of others. Um, as opposed to just giving my all to others and then hoping someone will take care of me. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that in doing that, I also understand because I felt the grunt of someone not being there for me. I think that has allowed me to understand what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And that and that helps me to kind of be present and fully present and in that moment without the distractions. Because... Nobody likes to feel like they're alone. Nobody likes to feel like it's them against the world and nobody's on their side. Like nobody should have to feel that anyway. Sure. And I think I think it's it's further rooted in me just because you know, I've had my own fair share of life experiences feeling like nobody's on my team. And if I had to figure out how to be on my own team, then I sure as heck can help somebody feel like at least I'm on their team and then hopefully help them figure out how to be on their own team as well. So I think that's where a lot of my empathy comes from is just because I, I just truly don't think anybody should ever feel like there's no hope. I think that's the best way I can explain it. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think to be honest, like that is definitely a big cornerstone of what these conversations Mm -hmm. are about because I feel like there's just so many minds that I want to poke because like I don't know how to get there Mm -hmm. and I'm sure that trickles down to so many other people and I think if there is an ability to connect with them on a specific topic that they've been interested in or they just want to learn more about like Mm -hmm. that's what this is archived for yeah no yeah makes sense yeah and so tying it back to your work, mm-hmm. I know you, I understand like you can't mention any specific mm-hmm. cases of any of, of any patient, but like how do you, so then how do you balance like being able to handle your work and then being able to handle your personal life afterwards? Like are there any things that you're, other things that you're involved with that maybe take them, take your mind off then? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot is, and one thing that they really like drill in your mind in in grad school is the need for self-care like whatever that means to you self-care is so necessary that's really good yeah Yeah. so i've 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 learned i mean i've known since undergrad but i've learned that my version of self-care is mindlessly passing time in front of the tv (laughs) because it's the one thing you do where like the only thing you're thinking about is the show right you're like why why did you choose him (laughs) like you know and so that's my version of self-care and so the the balance i mean there are so many things that go into balance when working in any field honestly but i think the first thing to acknowledge is that work is work and you cannot save the world yes so yeah there may be some mistakes here and there and yeah there may be some unhappy people here and there 
But as long as you know that you gave it your best, even within boundaries, because there are times where honestly, I could have probably done more, but because of the time or because I have other caseloads I need to also manage, I can't give it everything. But you know what I do do? I give it everything I can with the time that I'm given. So you have to keep in mind all these things. And then I personally use the drive home to process because once I'm home, I'm home. I will. I may talk about work. I may still be frustrated about work, but I will not pawn over things I could have changed at work while I'm at home because that's not the time. It's, done. it's yeah. And I'm it's off done. work. <laughs> totally. There's no point, you know. And so, so usually when I drive home, I process whether you know what can I do better next time. What do I wish changed this time? And if it's truly that bad, you know, I'll call my sister crying. Like, and and thankfully she's in a similar field so she can help me process and so um thankfully my drive is also 30 minutes so i have 30 minutes to process but i think it's crucial that if you're gonna go home and let home be home and let work be work then your home needs to be an environment that can produce that for you totally so my house um the way i prefer to leave it is that things be clean things be organized and that things be set um clutter stresses me out a house smelling weird stresses me out like little things can stress me out and if i'm coming home i want to be open i want to be able to open the door and like do a sigh of relief and and then that's now i'm home so that's how i find my balance i i try to get off when i'm supposed to get off which for anyone who's a social worker knows that that's almost impossible. <laughs> so I try to get off when I'm supposed to get off. And then I, I process as I go home. And I make sure that once I'm home, I try to relax as much as possible. Which is probably part of the reason why I'm introvert. Because once I'm home, I'm like, I don't want to go get food. I don't want to go get dinner. Like, if you guys want to get dinner, I'm coming in my work clothes. Because right, the right. moment I get home, <laughs> I'm not matter. going anywhere. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, that's how I handle it. Yeah. Yeah, people don't understand because I, I I love like solo drives. Like I, I honestly don't mind like the drive from NorCal to SoCal. Oh versus, really? By yourself? <laughs> yeah, I mean I just I I just took like a solo road trip up to Portland. Wow. And it was it yeah like I like it was the most awesome like self reflective time. Because That's true. It yeah. was like I mean of course not every moment's just like oh man like you know it's just me, but it because uh, it, it does get kind of drab you know and you get kind of like I don't know I I think for me and I'm curious if this is how it is for you but like i don't know i, I get through moments of like the, the typical what what am i what's going yeah. on like, what, what like what what am i doing and then and then i'll turn on like a good podcast or i'll just listen to like a song that i like like i've been listening to a lot of young thug lately you know? <laughs> and i'll play some young thug and then i'll all right sorry about that i think the i think i'm out of i'm full in memory so <laughs> um how often does that happen for you now you know Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if I say it happens once a week, but I don't know if that's just me being dramatic. <laughs> but I think it, it it happens for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I ask myself, what am I doing in terms of work? Sometimes I ask myself, what am I doing in terms of my family? Sometimes I ask myself, what am I doing in terms of friends? You know, and I, I, I think that's a necessary question to ask yourself. Yeah. Because I feel like, you know, so many times, at least for myself, I'm so inclined to brush things off and Mm -hmm. I'm so inclined to either think that I'm fine or, or think that they're the ones messing up or whatever the case is. And I think asking myself, you know, what am I doing really makes me think like, am I enjoying this part of my life? Am I 
is this just a rough patch? How many times have I asked myself, what am I doing in regards to this? Right. Where is my confidence in this? Where does that stand? Um, and, and if I do want to continue down this path, what do I need to do differently? What do I need to change? How can I make myself happier? So, um, yeah, I, I want to say I have those moments often enough, but at the same time, I think that's what allows me to forever be on this path to evolve and to better myself and to identify, you know, the things with me that may not sit as well as I pretend they are. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of my friends, they they say, you're so um, insightful. <laughs> like, Muji, like, you know so much about yourself. You're so insightful. And, and I think it's because I keep asking myself those questions. I ask myself, what am I doing? You know, um, am I enjoying this? Sometimes I even just sit and ask myself, like, if my life could go my way, how would I want it to look right now? Yeah. And I think that, as I said before, by asking those questions, you learn a lot about yourself. And you learn a lot about your environment and who you surround yourself with and who you give your time to and what time you are using well as well as what time you are wasting. Um, and not necessarily putting blame on anyone, but just really looking and figuring out how can I maneuver things around to work in my favor while hopefully working in the favor for others as well yeah so because i think i think the best way to be happy in life requires a little bit of selfishness honestly sure yeah yeah no and i, and I think like when i when i i really agree with that because it goes back to the aspect of like you it's impossible to just give 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 mm -hmm. give all the time mm -hmm. um but two like i think one of the most important life lessons i've ever learned is that regardless of the emotion, everything that you feel is, it's a slightly familiar and fleeting moment. Mm -hmm. So you know that this, this thing that you're feeling has happened before or a variation of it has happened before. Mm -hmm. And again, like what can you control in this moment? Yeah. So that, and, and understanding again, like what do you value in your time and then putting more into that at the moment. Yeah. Um, so with that, like who are some of the mentors or people that you really look up to and how have they influenced you? You know, that's a good question because I I haven't ever really just locked down on someone as a mentor. I think that's my personal problem. Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to me sometimes just wondering who's really on my team or not. Uh, so instead, I've I've realized that I tend to just surround myself with people who I believe I can learn from. Mm -hmm. Um, with that being said, I guess some of the most pivotal people that I'm learning constantly from would have to be, uh, first and foremost, my brother, um, just because, you know, he's this super religious guy and like super grounded in his faith. But in that, he's so humble and in that he's so like his mind is so far expanded onto so many things that it's like like I can't even comprehend half the time. And it's not even it's not even that he's always throwing prayers or bible verses at me or anything, but there's this level of this like whole thought that comes from him every time I come to him with a problem. Cuz I can literally say like if I'm arguing with my mom, I can talk about how I'm frustrated with her and this and the other. It'll just be like, you know, you don't need to entertain feelings like that. Like, what is your thought? Like, he's almost like my therapist, like, <laughs> you know? And and that's nice because he has this peacefulness to him. And, and there are times where 
I become so shaky and unsteady just because you're trying to balance so many things. Something's bound to give at some point. And I go to him and he's just so firm in everything he says that it almost grants me the security and confidence that everything's going to work out. And Mm -hmm. he doesn't even have to say that. So he's definitely one person I want to I want to learn how to have that peacefulness like he does. He's so at peace. The world could be falling apart and this man will sit there like he has the firmest stone in the place. Right. Like <laughs> doesn't make sense. Um and then I think I think another person I really know I personally have been aware that I've been paying attention to would be one of my friends, Joe Sandra. I call her Joe. Um she just, when I look at her and when I see how her life is, like, I want to embody that. Like, I want to, I want to resemble that. You know, she, she's so, again, grounded and rooted in so many different things. And um, she has so many life experiences as well. Like, you know, she's, she's married. She has a house. Like, and I think she's only like a year older than me. Like, <laughs> and her and her husband, they're like making their house a home, like doing all these things things in their home and stuff and you know and I just look and I'm like the way that they love each other and the way that they care for each other and like the way that they bicker and banter and like you know that it's still like that's theirs you know and then at the same time like how she has of course the financial freedom to get a house at such a young age and to be able to remodel that house and add extras and do whatever and not just be stuck with whatever and and for it to be in a good neighborhood and when I ask her about all these these ways that she's made it there how much thought she's put behind you know the man that she chose to spend her future with how much thought she put behind how she saves how much thought she's put behind you know how they're going to spend money together and things of that nature like she thinks out every move and it's worked in her favor mm-hmm. And I can only hope that my future, I can use some of those tools that she's given me and even have like a fraction of how put together it seems that she's putting her life together. Obviously, nothing's perfect, but it's well thought out. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So. No, for sure. I, I think even that aspect of like money is really important. Like I, I recently started listening to this podcast called Open Account. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've done an interview recently, but it's hosted by Suchin Pak. Mm-hmm. She used to be, I think, a host for MTV or something. Okay, yeah, because I was like, that name sounds so familiar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's the, she's hosting like really honest conversations with like actual couples to like celebrities on how they like manage money. Mm-hmm. And one of them, one of them was so interesting. It was um, a, com- a couple on the brink of divorce. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like who gets what and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and uh, I don't forget they have the kid or not, but I think just they were just so honest about it. I mean, this is super side tangent, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like, you know, in the aspect of mentors, like, I think that's really where I've learned a lot from just, like, podcasts. And, like, mm-hmm. again, it's hard for me necessarily to, like, be out there and connect with people since I'm just by myself all the time. In yeah. My, my nice little cave. <laughs> yeah. My apartment all the time. But I think this is where I found a lot of, like, great insight. You know, people yeah. like Tim Ferriss or, like, people like Eddie Wong or, like, Sujin Pak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think – and I think that's what's important because I – I think a lot of times when we think who's our mentor, we think of one solo person. But I think multiple people can be your mentors for various topics. And I think we pull from them as we need to pull from them and we Mm -hmm. gather information as necessary. And I I think the only thing that really classifies someone as a mentor is do you see something in them that you would like to one day resemble? 
And if you have six people, 16 people, or one person, I think it. what's important is you just make sure you work for it. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that completely echoes the advice that my first boss gave me. Because <clears throat> I asked him the same thing, like, you know, who are your mentors? And he mm-hmm. said, that's... That's a it's a it's an evolving like answer because like tell you the truth like I love connecting with people mm-hmm. and but what do I love connecting them about you know well that's the other thing so I have a mentor like in business exactly. because I am an entrepreneur I have my feet in a lot of different businesses so I have people that I talk about that I'm interested in tech so I look to this person for tech advice and then you know and then whatever else he's interested in that's how he makes his connections and now he has this huge network of people like literally across the world yeah like he's in vegas every other weekend just because <laughs> he can because yeah. he gets hooked up yeah no exactly exactly yeah well i know we're nearing the end of this time but if you had a conversation with your 16 year old self right now mm-hmm. or heck even 18 year old do you think that you're in the place that you'd want to be Oh, um, more or less, I think, I think my 16 and my 18 year old self was overly excited about being an adult. I think by now, my, I mean, my both 16 and 18 year old self thought that by now I'd, I'd be in some X year long relationship on my way to getting engaged, like amazing apartment like all these things but what I have learned is that or what I have realized is that those things were bonuses having those things would have been nice they would have been cool but that's not the core of what I wanted myself to be when I was thinking of myself at 16 I think when I was thinking of myself at 16 and 18 the main thing I wanted was I wanted to have a good income and I wanted to have some stability so I wanted a good income good job surrounded by people who know and appreciate me and I them and I wanted to feel like I was able to be an adult on my own completely mm-hmm. and that's what I am now yeah so I think if I if I looked at the fluff I'd be like no I'm not who I wanted to be at all sure. but <laughs> but if I look at the core if I look at what I was really thinking of then yeah I'm there I'm definitely there. I'm, I'm surprised myself that I'm here. <laughs> so, That's a good yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know a lot of, like, my siblings, even every single time. I think, um, not even I think, I know I'm definitely really hard on myself. And so sometimes, even though I'm here now, sometimes I, I'd say out loud, like, I should be here. And my siblings are like, slow your roll. Like, you're in a, a much better position than a lot of people right now. And and look at how the, these things all kind of fell in your lap. So, yeah, like, you could be here, you could be there, but you're also where you are right now for a reason. Right. And I think that's something I try to remind myself of because, I mean, how many people in my program can I turn to and, and say, hey, what are you doing? And they give me a similar, like, response as to what I'm doing now. Not... I mean, we're all getting there. Like, even some of my friends just got hired recently, but we're not all there. So, right. so it's not the norm to be where I am now. It takes time. And, and a lot of people, they are using that time. And for me, I just got lucky that time was on my side. So I just need to chill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, well, I mean, it, it's always a pleasure. And I, I, I'm bummed that it took us this long to connect again after college. I know. But we should. But uh, again, I thank you so much for your time. No, no problem. No problem. It was fun. <laughs>
And the more you know who you are and what you want, the less you love.